first off, what is social anxiety? It's basically like this algorithm that gets you to not be yourself. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today I'm chatting with mental health advocate, Mark Metry, who is a Forbes featured TEDx speaker, podcast host of the Social Anxiety Society and a best-selling author. But once upon a time, he couldn't make direct eye contact with anyone and suffered from social anxiety and health issues that disrupted his life. Mark has since developed tools to overcome these mental health issues and has helped thousands of people overcome social anxiety and shyness, and we'll be sharing some of his tips and secrets with all of you. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by Hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hey, Mark. Morgan, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm uh, I'm super, super great. And I was going on a walk before this and I was like, okay, don't say any kind of crazy health claims. So I'm glad you just said that disclaimer, but hopefully <laughs> oh, we won't yeah, go yeah. there. No, we've disclaimed. So you're good. You can just, you know, you can let it rip. We want all the crazy, all the crazy health stuff. Um, so I love, I'm loving this. I, for those folks listening who know me, I definitely have like a predisposition to anxiety. I always say, I think like people who live in the past have like maybe more shame issues and people who live in the future have like more anxiety issues. And I am definitely like mentally always in the future. So anxiety is just like a a force I live with. So I'm just super excited to hear your story and what you have to offer the audience. So give us the background. Like, how did you get here? This is like such an interesting area to be, I don't know, a specialist in. So fill us in, like, how does this relate to your personal story? Yeah, for real. Um, So I've been trying to tell my story over the last few years. And I think the best way I've found to kind of describe my story and what I do is I literally spent every single day for the first part of my life, trying to just hide from the world, trying to stay as small as possible, trying to just sort of like blend in the background and not stick out. And personally for me, you know, my parents, uh, my parents and I are, are Egyptian and they came to America a year before I was born with like $200 in their pocket. And we kind of grew up in the inner city, you know, had an interesting childhood. And for me personally, when I look back on my life, a time that really, really shifted things in a way that I didn't really understand then was us moving from the inner city and starting from like third grade, we moved into a very, very small town out in uh, kind of like the northwestern part of my state. And what was really interesting was that uh, this is a time where this was post 9-11 in America. And all of a sudden, I'm like this new kid. I show up to, to a very small school. Uh, nobody looks like me. Uh, there's like no racial diversity. And so all of a sudden, I just get pounded and every day of my life is like this tormentation of like racial bullying. And I honestly didn't even like realize it was happening. Um, and because my, you know, really my entire life and my brain really just shifted. And um, it's almost kind of so strange to think about. It almost kind of seems like someone just like took my mind and my brain and just like made me freeze for 10 years. And so throughout that time, I had so much social anxiety I had and no friends prior at school. to that, you didn't have any social anxiety. This no, no, I didn't. My interesting God. Yeah. yeah. Didn't play any sports, got bad grades in school, just like tried to blend in. I was always the kid who just didn't talk to anyone. No one even knew. Um, and when I was about 18, I go off to college 
I really reached this point of, uh, of awareness of just starting to understand like what happened to me and who I was and wanted, what I wanted to do in my life, but still kind of having the sense of like, I'm frozen. Like I still can't move forward. I still can't talk to people. I still, you know, don't know how to put myself out there. And so I remember in college falling down this really dark path where I start to like numb myself through alcohol and junk food and Netflix and all these different things. Next thing I know, I'm like 250 pounds. Uh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I have a picture you're I can like, send it to you, you after. You're like super fit. I mean, I can only see you from like the chest up, but I would never assume you would have <laughs> ever been 250 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, I got seriously depressed for the first time in my life. My lifelong social anxiety transformed into like social isolation. I stopped talking to my family, my friends. Um, and next thing I know, I think the best way to describe it is it felt like my brain broke. And for a, a period of like two to three months, I remember being like caught in this trance. And eventually I just couldn't fall asleep at night which eventually led me to the point where I was like literally losing my mind. And I was like suicidal for two to three months. Oh and during that period of time, I'm not sure, you know, what it was the you know, the sense of awareness, but I basically started to realize like, Oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to be like a statistic. And that I think gave me the perspective to just sort of step back and kind of realize m- my entire life and kind of everything that happened. And it really led me towards this opportunity of being like, wait, if I'm going to like die here, if I'm going to be a statistic and people are probably going to think of me and know of my story in a more negative light, I'm probably not the only person who has faced this. And so on the flip side, like what if, what if I can actually overcome this and I can actually tell a story of how, you know, how many other people just like me who have faced the same stuff in America and around the world can actually climb out of this and not be a statistic. And so I kind of drew, drew the line in the sand when I was 18 years old. And ever since then, like over a period of months and years, I've been trying to work on my own self, my own habits, my own lifestyle. Uh, eventually, I started a podcast in 2017. It was How called Humans 2.0. Um, I think I had like just turned 20. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so you went from like depressed, Netflix, binging, eating bad food to like launching your own podcast, like two years later. I mean, that's pretty like, a, that's a pretty remarkable turnaround. Yeah. And for me, like I, I didn't start the podcast as like, oh, this is the way that I'm going to like start this brand and market myself and be like a podcast host who knows everything. For me, it was just like, listen, I don't know what to do with my life. So let me try to talk to smarter people. And I really just use the podcast as, as really like a, almost like a selfish tool. Yeah. To, to get that. I like I was telling you, that's what I do with this podcast. It's a selfish tool to get to connect with cool people like you. So yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I love it. Um, so yeah. Um, wait, so I have to ask yeah, you tell me. before you move on. So you're 18. You started to talk like, okay, then I started at like gaining weight and all these other things happened. So had that turned around by the time you're 20 and you start the podcast or not really, you're still in the thick of like depression. No, no. So I had com- like probably within it took me a while, probably within like a year of just like making every day count. I had completely lost the weight. I had started to work towards my social anxiety. I had almost no social anxiety anymore. So this is all within college, like your first year of college, like you're 19 and you're turning it around already. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely took me a while. I definitely had Did some you get into therapy or like what helped here? 
How? I def- yeah, I, I definitely visited a psychotherapist. Um, I think for me, really, the biggest thing was, um, you know, so for me, like, again, I'm not really in touch with like my Egyptian roots. Like I grew up here in America. And so during that year, like in my darkness, um, I ended up taking a trip to Egypt. And when I went to Egypt, uh, just for reference, Egypt was just in the middle of getting out of like, not just one, but like two revolutions where like they overthrew their government and like a lot of crazy stuff happened. And so I go to Egypt and, you know, a lot of people don't have jobs. My cousins are telling me all these stories And I basically start to realize like, oh, if my parents never left to go to America by winning like in the lottery to get their green card, then I would have just like been another person who was in Egypt and I probably, you know, would be stuck in these situations. And so when that happened, that really just kind of woke me up to really just like the insane opportunity that I had. Um, And for me personally, like I grew up every day playing video games. I got into like entrepreneurship very young. I was making over six figures when I was like 16. And so I always had like this obsession. Um, I mean, you have, you have kids, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't even play Minecraft, the video Uh, game. No, no. Cause Uh, this is only three and a half. And then I have (laughs) one and a half year old. And then I have another one. Okay. Actually pregnant, but yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thanks. Um, definitely sounds like you have your hands full, but um, no Minecraft uh, yet at our house. No Minecraft. Yeah. But I started this, this major community in Minecraft that became like one of the world's number one communities on that game. I also had like a website design agency. I had a YouTube channel in like 2009. Um, so I always had like this kind of obsessive spirit. Uh, but I was never good at school. I never played sports. And so what I really did is I really was able to harness like that obsession towards all of like the healthy things towards my podcast, towards reading books. And that just fundamentally changed my life. And yeah, I had seen a therapist. My family was also very supportive. Um, so there was a lot of things, Maybe but I, I did so many. A small town with no diversity and being oh, yeah. was probably hugely helpful. And we're oh, massive. School? Um, in college, I went to a school called WIT. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It stands for Wentworth Institute of Technology. Cool. All right. Carry on. Sorry. There's just some <laughs> tidbits. Oh, no worries. Right. No worries. Um, so yeah, I started my podcast and basically like 300 plus episodes later, I'm interviewing like all the top people. My podcast is on like the top 100. Now my story is getting featured by all these major news sites. I get asked to do a TEDx talk. Um, I start, I start becoming a speaker. I get invited all over the world. People want to hear my story. I start to realize like at the end of every single time I do a talk in whatever city, there would always be like one person who would walk up to me after. And I could tell they were a little bit shy. They would be looking down. They wouldn't make eye contact with me. And they'd ask me literally the same question. They'd say, Mark, how did you go from someone who had like crippling social anxiety, being shy their entire life? to being able to like be confident and like speak your truth in your story. And so that just happened to me in literally like every single city. And so I was like, I have to write a book and like take what I discovered through like learning from the science and also just through my own experimentation. And I've got to like put it in this like guide. And then like that became my book, Screw Being Shy, which literally launched the day everything was shut down by COVID. It was a crazy story of itself, but, you know, I've tried to kind of stake out this area of land and really just try to help people with, uh, with social anxiety. It's such a major issue that so many people try to hide. Um, and in my first TEDx talk, 
I called it like the invisible mental health epidemic that's stopping people from being themselves. And like, since then I've been able to help companies and schools and so many different people. And it's taken me on this crazy journey. And, um, and yeah, I'm really great, great to glad to be here. (laughs) That's so cool. So talk to me about like social anxiety then, because like, I mean, my anxiety is maybe not social. I have no, like, I have zero social anxiety. I probably have like an opposite problem of that where I, I could use a little social anxiety. I definitely have regular anxiety just about life in general, but, um, but social anxiety, like how did that present for you? And how is that different now? And what tips do you have for us? What works? Yeah. So first off, what is social anxiety? So I define social anxiety as really like this virus that infiltrates your brain, your mind, your nervous system, usually from the ages between like eight to 13. Um, And usually it's set on if you know if you grew up different looking like everyone else whether it was your race or maybe you have a disability or how you look uh very very common or how you speak very very common scenario or any kind of abuse uh bullying is definitely a big one and really what it is is it's basically like this algorithm that gets you to not be yourself and so for example what does that mean i would you know be sitting down uh you know in a classroom and then the teacher would ask like, hey, you know, wh- what year did World War II start? And then in my mind, I'm like, oh, World War II started in this year. I know the answer. And then I'm like, should I raise my hand? And then next thing I know, all of a sudden my heartbeat starts to like race. And then next thing I know, I just start sweating. So then now my mind is in like this altercation with my body where I'm like, I want to do this. But then my body's like, no, 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 no. Like literally, like literally, like no matter what you do, do not raise your hand, do not talk. Um, or maybe I would talk, but then all of a sudden my mind would go blank. Um, and so that's that's part of it. Another part of it too uh, is, um, you know, like a lot of the times when it comes to social anxiety, uh, a lot of people will, their brains will sort of develop like these, um you know, these cognitive biases and everyone has cognitive biases, but for example, like you'll be sitting in a room and all of a sudden you'll just get the feeling that everybody's looking at you. Or for example, you know, you'll walk into a room and then maybe, you know, someone in the corner is like laughing and then your brain will tell you, oh, that person is laughing because they're laughing at you. Uh, And so all of a sudden, like your brain will start to form these various like cognitive distortions on how people hate you and how you're not accepted. And that basically leads someone to, you know, through school, through their job, basically not living the life that they want to, like always living in sort of, you know, like sort of two different lives where like deep down, they know exactly what they want to do. They know exactly what they want to say, but then their real life, which is expressed by your body, by your mind is, is never looking up to that. And so you you end up living this life where you have no friends, which then means you have a very, very low sense of self-esteem. And then that leads to not doing and achieving the things you want to. That leads to mental health problems. Uh, like, for example, um, I talk about this in my, in my TEDx talk. And uh, Harvard, Harvard did a meta-analysis study, and they basically showed that social anxiety is, is one of the most common problems in America. Um, and out of all the different mental health issues, it's also the most correlated with substance abuse, social isolation, and suicide. And then I look back to my life when I was 18, substance <laughs> abuse, 
social isolation, suicide. And so it's a very, very common pattern that happens. And, and really the best way that I think about it is it's really like this algorithmic virus that enters your life between the ages of eight to 13 that really just hijacks your entire nervous system. And you, for a lot of people, they never live like a normal life past that. It's, it's very, very sad. It's very dark. Um, so, so yeah. So when it spread, do you think this is? So I could, I could be wrong, but I believe the last time I checked the statistics, it was something like, um, like I think it was like 25 or like 35 million people in America experiences at like a very serious, like everyday level. Yeah. Uh, I think it's huge. I was last week, I was just um, like speaking at this school and um, again, like just like speculation, just like walking through the hallways and stuff and just seeing like the kids and stuff, especially kids, so many of them, especially I think like with what we've gone through over the last two years and how everything's changed. Like, I think that's a a huge, huge factor, Um, but it's very, very common. And, and, And a lot of people who don't experience this, you almost have no idea. Yeah. And the reason why is because one of the main goals of like this virus is that like your number one priority is to like never let anybody know about this. And so even for me, you know, my parents, my family, uh, like my best friend, people who are, I was close to, they had no idea. And I think a lot of the times too, that's why, you know, again, like, you know, God forbid this happens to anyone listening to this, but you know, you have someone who, you know, dies of suicide. And usually the story is always like, oh, we, we literally had no idea. Yeah. Like they were always, always smiling, always. you know? And so I think that's a huge like gateway towards that problem. And that's like what my entire like TEDx talk was about, because it's, it's such a serious problem that's so invisible and hidden to people yeah. who don't experience it. Yeah. It's interesting. I always talk about, I wonder, do you find there's any like correlation, like, or any like I guess male, female, is there any, like, is it split or do you see it like more prevalent in one sex or not really males for sure. I was going to say that's where I was kind of going with this. I feel like there's kind of like an epidemic of like a lack of confidence in boys growing up today. Like that, you know, I've noticed and I'm always like, what is happening to the boys the, that are, you know, now men like in their twenties, like what is going on here? And I, w- I wonder if there's any correlation with like what you're describing. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is for, for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, I remember looking back to you know, the different people that, you know, like w- would, uh, you know, would say not so great things and abuse me and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, like now it's like, you know, a lot of their parents or like a lot of their fathers were like alcoholics or they were even abused themselves, you know? So I think it's a massive problem. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that in current, according to the demographics, I believe that it's highest in males, but then it's also highest in people from like the middle East and, uh, and like Southeast Asia for whatever reason. Um, so it's interesting pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And this eight to 13 year old thing is interesting too. So that's when it would like, that's when it shows or that's when normally like the change happens, would you say? Uh, that's a great question. So what I usually tell people, especially parents is like, if you have a kid and again, if you're seeing them every day, it's kind of hard to tell shifts. Um, but if you see that, like all of a sudden they go from just like living their life to almost being like a turtle going back into its shell, 
that's usually a pretty big sign of like, oh, the seed is being planted. Um, and so usually there's like a, a pretty significant change. And I remember like my parents too, when they were, when they were seeing this in me, I remember them, you know, going to the school and like going to my guidance counselor and kind of like expressing their concerns about what was happening. Of course, nothing really happened. Uh, but um, that's a very, very common kind of age. And, um, and yeah, and almost everybody that I meet, all my clients who, you know, suffer from like serious social anxiety, every single one of them now looking back. And a lot of times it's hard to be able to even tell just individually uh, that shift because it's, um, it's almost like this way where like your, your mind becomes a prison and like, there's this quote and it's like, the mind is the worst prison because you don't know where the jail cell begins and ends. And so for so many people that I work with, for example, a lot of them actually have no idea, uh, you know, between the ages of eight to 13, that shift. But then as we start talking, as we start conversating, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, there was like this one thing. And then all of a sudden they can trace that back to like, wow, that's when there was a major shift where it kind of just felt like my brain was just hijacked ever since that moment in a way that I couldn't control. Interesting. So what can we do about this or what happens after? Like, yeah, what, what do you do? How do we handle this? (laughs) This is terrible. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what I would say is this. So the earlier you catch it, the better usually. Um, and for example, like if you have a kid where you kind of notice this is happening to them and they're in between the ages of eight to 13, like putting them in a great environment, really working with them during that age period is really crucial because you like can have someone it up, like not just waiting it out and being like, oh, this is just a tough year. It's like, no, no, no. We got to like, we got to really switch the environment here. This isn't working. Yeah. And the, and the analogy that I have is just like breaking your leg, right? So like when you break your leg, you don't just like sit there with a broken leg for like years, right? Like you immediately go to the hospital or you go to the doctor. They have this entire system where they're like, Hey, we're going to put it in this kind of a a cast. We're going to give you crutches the next month, you know, they transition it. So in terms of what we can do about it, I think the approach is very similar. So like you have to go through like a month by month recovery process. Like there's no one like tactic that you can do that all of a sudden, like it's all, you know, fine. Right. It's like, you really have to go through this recovery process and it looks different for everybody, but usually, you know, there are some like fundamentals and it's usually like part one is like, you have to understand like what social anxiety actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people who, who face social anxiety, they actually don't even know that they have social anxiety. Maybe they're like, oh yeah, I'm a little shy or I'm not one to do this or to do that. Um, But a lot of the times just because of awareness and because of the lack of education, a lot of people with social anxiety actually don't know. And because of that, what ends up happening, Morgan, and to all your listeners is that every single time in their life, which is probably every day where their social anxiety has hijacked their brain, whether it's, you know, they're in a meeting, and their brain, their mind is like, Hey, I think you should, you know, say this, I think that would be really valuable. But then all of a sudden, then their brain, their nervous system goes into this entire fight or flight shut down. You have no control over your mind. Every time that happens to someone and they don't know that social anxiety is, is real and their brain is sort of stuck in this prison, they're just going to walk away and they're going to be like, wow, I guess I just 
couldn't get myself to do that. I guess there's just, you know, like something wrong with me, or I guess I'm just not as smart as everybody else. Or I guess I'm just not as talented. And so that's usually the first step. It's, it's trying to identify specifically what social anxiety is. And there's like, you know, just for the sake of time, we won't get into it, but there's like literally like 12 different like tricks that social anxiety uses to hijack your brain. And so going through with someone and really like sitting them down and helping them figure out like, oh, all those times where I just thought that I did that because there was something wrong with me or because I was somehow less than everybody else actually showing them like, no, 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 this is actually social anxiety. Um, so that one is, is a big one. Now, the second kind of foundation that's really important too is helping people work on their brain health. So, so many people, because you know they've spent maybe a decade, usually even more in social anxiety, where every single day their brain is taking them on this neurochemical roller coaster. A lot of the times when you look at it, people's brains are, are just very unhealthy. They're very inflamed. They're not working right. Maybe you need to like go to your doctor and, um, and, and like figure out maybe if you need to get some like different kinds of tests done. Um, and so a lot of the times people, and especially myself, uh, your brain will just like be fundamentally not being regulated properly. So like working on kind of the pillars of brain health which you know, I'm sure you know, and a lot of people who we've had on as a podcast of like your nutrition, your sleep, exercise, sunlight, um, you know, having some sort of a loving connection with a friend or family member. That's like a, a huge kind of foundation um, that a lot of people, when they first kind of discover that they have social anxiety and like they usually Google, like, oh, what do I do if I have social anxiety? And they like come across an article. That's like, oh, you just have to put yourself out there or like you have to do this thing called exposure therapy where like you incrementally expose yourself to your different fears and they end up doing that. And I ended up doing that, but I ended up failing. And the reason why was because my brain just wasn't working at a fundamental level. And it was because I had grown up every day eating the modern diet, never even thought of nutrition, never fell asleep at night, always had sleeping problems, never exercised almost never went outside. Um, and so I think a lot of the times, if you look at brain health, that's a huge, huge foundation that a lot of people usually kind of underestimate or underlook. But I think it's the key to especially getting long-term results. Because personally, what I learned is that like, even if you have like the temporary confidence or you have like the motivation to, to if you have social anxiety, to be social, and to kind of like speak about it. But if your brain is, is heavily, heavily under stressed, you're just not going to see long-term results. And so that's a foundation. Another huge foundation is kind of like the mind, which I think like meditation and there's all the also like other different tricks that you can use to control your mind. And then the last one is going through something that I just mentioned called exposure therapy. And I can talk more about that if you want. Um, but basically what it is, is you break down social anxiety into its four layers. And the four layers of social anxiety where people will have social anxiety over one or more, it's usually a combination of all four of these layers. The first one is people will have social anxiety around their physical appearance. So whether that's their weight, their skin, how they look, their nose, their eyes. The second one is people will get socially anxious around their social skills. 
they feel like they don't know how to introduce themselves to someone. They feel like they lack a lot of the sort of social cohesion skills um, where they kind of like look at other people and they're like, oh, how do they so easily like make friends or how do they seem that friendly? Um, the third one is people will get socially anxious around the signs of anxiety itself. So basically they'll be in a conversation and then all of a sudden they'll start sweating. They'll see like their pit stains or maybe they, they, their, their face blushes. And then all of a sudden they start to realize like, oh, wait, other people can see my face blushing. Other people can see me sweating. Other people can see my foot tapping. Other people can hear me stutter or whatever their social anxiety symptom is. And the last one is people will get socially anxious around just their personality and who they are as a person. And so basically what you do is you go through each one of these layers that is unique to you. Um, and so personally for me, let's take the first layer when it comes to your physical appearance, I had social anxiety around just like my skin color because I grew up in a place that wasn't racially diverse and I had racial bullying and all this stuff. Uh, I also had social anxiety when it came to just like my weight and my body type, because I was never, um, I was never like overweight growing up, but I was also never like athletic. And so I always felt like I had some like physical deficiency. Uh, the third one was that, you know, my parents and I, we didn't grow up rich. And so I remember going to school wearing the same clothes many days. Uh, and so I remember, you know, being made fun of that. And so I remember I developed this kind of social anxiety around the clothes that I was wearing. And so what you start to do is you start to take each one of these and you start to ask yourself, like, what is the most simplest incremental way that I can expose myself to this fear in a controlled environment? Now, what I would say is that, like as a disclaimer, if you have social anxiety and you know you haven't kind of been doing anything in the past or like you haven't addressed like your brain health or your mind first, I do not recommend starting off with this because kind of like I told you- You're like set uh, up for failure. Yeah, you're set up for failure. And like literally so many people, including myself, they start to realize they have social anxiety. They go on Google, they start to look it up. This kind of exposure like, oh, therapy- sign up for uh, impromptu- <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Or they're just like, oh, I just need What's to talk called? to more people. Yeah. Or I need go to on participate in those more. comedy clubs where you do, what's that called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where yeah. You- yeah. Like stand yeah. up or improv. Yeah. yeah. Improv, improv. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a very common thing. And then what happens is you do that, you fail. You try to do it again, you fail. You try to do it again, you fail. And so what happens is you're like, oh, wow, I'm literally never going to escape this. I'm literally like, I'm screwed. I have no hope. And so that's like a huge one. So yeah, as a disclaimer, don't do that. Um, but anyway, when it comes to exposure therapy and like going back to what I said about your physical appearance. So when it comes to clothes, right? So one of the things that I started to do after I had started to you know work on these other areas a bit, what I started to do is I started, I like went to a store and I bought like the craziest clothes I could possibly find. So I bought, I found like this tight, bright pink neon shirt. I had like these, uh, I bought like these tight pink shorts. Um, I bought like this crazy kind of like cat. And so basically what I would do is like, I go to the mall and I'd go and I just like walk around and I'd basically try to put myself in this environment where everyone is staring at me. Everyone is like, yo, what is that guy doing? What is that guy wearing? And I would do that for the purpose of trying to condition my mind. Like, oh, we don't care what people yeah. 
you know, look at us. We don't care. And so like, that's one layer. Another layer, for example, is when it comes to like my social skills. uh, One of the things that I would do is at first I was like, Hey, let me try to walk up to random strangers and just like try to spark conversations. Try doing that. I failed. I had to break it down to even simpler steps. So what I would do, and I'd like write this down in my journal, I'd write down like, okay, number one, Mark, go outside and ask five random people what the time is. So I'd go outside, I'd ask someone, hey, I started to bother you. Do you know what the time is? And they'd be like, yeah, it's three, you know, it's 4.38. Uh, and I'd do that five times. And then I would you know, say, hey, Mark, go up to five people and ask them what the time is. And then ask them for like directions to like get to like some random coffee shop that like you can see <laughs> from where I would ask them. And so I'd kind of incrementally... Uh, do this. And then I would be like, okay, Mark, try to give them like some kind of a compliment. And then eventually I would try to start a conversation. And so you can go through all these layers of social anxiety, find out specifically for you by like tracing back your story, uh, why you have which layer, and then you can break it down to the simplest steps and incrementally expose yourself to each one of those. And if you do that alongside taking care of your brain, your mind, your nervous system, things like that, that's a huge, huge, huge help. Crazy. Backing <laughs> it up. That's so interesting. Um, backing it up, like the diet stuff and the health stuff, like what particular changes did you make and what do you see the most success with? Yeah. So I think really like two main things. So I think for me, when I started to just like, um, you know, stop kind of eating processed food, junk food, and just trying to eat like healthy, natural foods, try to put an emphasis on eating, you know, vegetables, kind of like brain healthy fats and proteins, things like that. That really, really improved my my brain health. But what's interesting is that I believe in 2017, the University of Maryland did a study with people with social anxiety And it was actually specifically in regards to their gut microbiome, because we know that a lot of the times like different neurotransmitters in your brain, uh, especially the ones that have to do with like your mood and even how confident you are. um, A lot of those have many different like correlations and implications with how your gut microbiome functions, which I'm sure you guys know about. It's like an ecosystem of trillions of bacteria. Um, And so basically like what this, uh, what this study showed is that people who ate more like gut probiotic healthy foods things like uh like yogurt and sauerkraut and uh and and certain pickled vegetables um and, and like miso and tempeh and kimchi and things like that uh, alongside eating just like a, a good diet and exercising they showed a, a reduction in their social anxiety symptoms so like I think when it comes to diet, those are really the most significant things of like, I think you've got to make sure that you're eating enough, you know, fats and protein and, and vegetables to fuel your brain. But then you should also look at your gut microbiome too, and the foods that you can eat and the things that you can do to not harm your gut microbiome. Those are, those are absolutely, you know, huge. Very interesting. And how did you solve the sleep issues? That's like such a tough one for people. I feel like. <laughs> Oh man, I have memories of like me being like 13 years old where I just like try to go to sleep at night, close my eyes. And then I would just like be thinking, 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 thinking. And then I would just hear my parents' alarm clock 
in the door and I'm like, oh, it's like 7 a.m. It's time to go to school again. Oh, God. Yeah. And that was my life. It's torture. It's like absolutely torture. Um, so when it comes to sleep, I've honestly, like, I've personally had to go so deep in research because I really had to train myself to like learn how to sleep. And I think that's like a skill that a lot of people, especially if like people who have had sleeping problems for a lot of their life, you think like, oh, I should just like know how to sleep. But I think if you're a certain kind of person, you have a certain kind of mind, like you have to learn how to sleep. It's, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's a huge yeah. differentiation. Um, there's so many different things. I think one that uh, I often don't hear a lot on podcasts, that's like a huge, massive one for me is this technique called uh, sleep anchoring. I don't know if you ever heard it no, before. Um, so basically what you do is like you essentially hypnotize and put your brain to, to sleep to, and knock it out. So basically what you do is you choose a vowel sound. Okay. So let's say mine is ah, okay. And a, and what you do is when you inhale, like through your nose or through your mouth or whatever, just as you're sleeping, what you do is you basically anchor that sound ah to your inhale, but you don't say it out loud. You just sort of play it in your mind. So you don't say it out loud. And, and then when you exhale, you play a different sounding vowel sound could be oh okay okay so when you inhale in your mind like you're saying ah and then when you exhale you're saying oh and again you're not saying this out loud like i am you're just yeah, saying I it just in your mind it in your mind okay so if you do this again and again and again without within 2 minutes all of a sudden you're going to notice like you're about to knock out and then really? if you're able to do it in 3 minutes 4 minutes like Every single time, even when I'm like super stressed, even when I like have not had a good day, that has never not worked. And the only trick is that a lot of times when people reach the two minute mark and they all of a sudden start to notice, wow, I'm super drowsy. What happens is people stop and they forget to play the vowel sounds. So because you're so sleepy, you just forget to keep doing that. But then when you forget and you stop, you're going to wake back right up again. So the key is to like train your mind a little bit, maybe through like mindfulness meditation to have some higher sense of focus, to be able to focus on alternating those vowel sounds between the anger. And like, if you can do that, it's a hundred percent, 99% going to work for a lot of people. Yeah. How'd you learn about anchoring? Literally just one of my insomniac moments at 3am, just like desperately trying to research and look up like what to do. (laughs) Just how I found out about a lot of these things that I talk about. Do you have any like supplements you take or you found helpful along the way? Yeah. So I think when it comes to social anxiety, um, there's one supplement in particular, and I got this from, I had known about it before him, but I had got this from, uh, this guy named Dr. Daniel Amen, um, who I've had on my podcast. And yeah, his advice for people with social anxiety is you should supplement with something called GABA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically what GABA is, is like, it's like a natural neurotransmitter in your brain. And this GABA, it's meant to calm you down. And the issue with people who, um, you know, have had anxiety their entire life, especially social anxiety their entire life is that, um, you know, again, while there's not like 100% evidence about this, that a lot of these people are GABA deficient. And it's because like this sort of neurotransmitter is not being regulated properly. So I think out of all the supplements that I've found, I think GABA works with like the most amount of people 
and I know a lot of supplements are kind of more, you know, it's not necessarily about making you feel anything differently. It's about kind of working on your overall health in the background, but GABA is definitely a supplement where it's like, it's not like you're on drugs or anything, but you can kind of tell like 5% or like the, or like by 10%, your anxiety goes down a little bit where you have a little bit more wiggle room. Um, and I definitely don't recommend taking it every day because I know if you take GABA every day, sometimes it'll make you a little too calm. So you don't want that either. Okay. But yeah, that one is very interesting. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One of my, I have like a naturopathic doctor. She's been on here, Dr. Ari Calhoun, but she recommended my like toddler and we're in like the tantrum phase. And she was like, if you're having like a moment and you can't get them to like totally chill out, there's like this kid supplement called like GABA tracks or GABA tracks or something. <laughs> and she's like, this could help. Like if they're really like having a bad meltdown and you know, whatever. So that's funny. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it works for sure for a lot of people. Yeah. But it could be like, is it like a cause dependency or who knows? I I don't know. But I mean, I think I think if you take every, you know, something every single day and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to stop taking this. I'm sure it could. You know, I'm sure it depends on the person's uh, like psychology. I honestly don't know, to be honest. No, I hear you. So, okay. We kind of like glossed over this, but you started your own podcast. How many years ago was that now? Uh, oh man, 2017. How many years? Okay. Was that? So like, like five years five? ago. Yeah. And like, who have you brought on there? What's tell me more about your podcast. Yeah. Um, I've had on all different kinds of people from like doctors, like Dr. Uh, Drew Ramsey, Dr. Daniel Amen to, um, uh, you know, the co-founder of Netflix, to different professional athletes, to actors. Um, I've had on a lot of different kinds of people from all kind of, kinds of walks of life. And the podcast has gone through an evolution. Um, I'm actually in the middle of like relaunching it right now. Um, but really for me, my podcast is a, is a spot where um, – all different kinds of people, even people who are not necessarily like, you know, mental health professionals, people who are like, you know, big on YouTube or like people who are on TikTok or, or like rappers or musical artists can go and, and find a space where you can just be honest about your mental health, you know, because I think you know, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, like mental health is becoming more of a thing today. And now kind of everyone has a kind of sense of awareness of mental health. Whereas like, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, you know, nobody really had a sense of mental health. Or if you did, it was always like this very extreme picture of like, oh, someone with depression is like sitting in like a dark room and crying all day by themselves or like someone who goes to like a psychiatric hospital. Um, But I also think that, you know, like just being honest and being realistic, I also think that like opening up about your mental health to the wrong people can also not be good either, you know, and you never know how people are going to interpret it, how people are going to perceive it. And so for me, my podcast over, you know, especially like when COVID started and all this stuff, it's kind of been more of this space where, um, you know, I don't know, you can call it a safe space where people can just kind of talk about mental health and people who are interested, or maybe people who, don't have anyone in their life that they can talk to about their mental health, that they can kind of like join this like conversation about it and, and just learn more um, from these conversations and just feel like they're not, they're not by themselves. 
Yeah, that's very cool. And you are also working with people one-on-one. Is that right? Yeah, I work with people one-on-one. Um, I also speak all the time. Um, I also have like a um I also have like this self-guided 45-day program um that is actually working a lot better than I expected, where basically every single day it'll literally take someone and it'll tell them like, hey, if you're trying to work with social anxiety, like this is exactly what you need to know. This is exactly what you need to do. Um, and I've literally like had people send me testimonials that I didn't even ask them for telling me like, Mark, I've, I've literally been trying to work on this for like the last eight years with like different, you know, coaches and therapists. Therapist, yeah. And like, for me, the biggest thing is that I literally lived this for 10 years of my life. Like I literally yeah. know exactly what it's like to like go through that state of mind. And that's why I think I can help people. And that's why I wrote my book. Like I didn't write my book to be like, Hey, I'm so smart. Like I want to write this book for my brand. It was literally just like, there's not a single book out there like this uh, because no one has been able to go through my path and kind of restore themselves and their social anxiety the way I have, or at least communicated it on the internet. Um, And so I kind of have to write this book um, and like put all this stuff out there. And so I've definitely tried my best to create different tools and and programs and, and for all different kinds of people and companies and, and whatnot. Very cool. What um, are you. you most excited about these days that's happening in like this field or in health and wellness in general? Yeah. So I think one thing is that, so when my book came out, um, when my book came out, it was like the day everything shut down. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I definitely tried to market the book. I had to, you know, do so many different things. I had to, you know, kind of, you know, bounce things around and experiment. Um, but like people at the end of the day, like, especially during quarantine, like nobody wants to read a book about social anxiety when you're not even talking to anyone and you're just inside your house. And I especially think over the last two years, mental health has become more of the forefront. And so now like, I'm finally like, you know, different, like, Fortune 500 companies are reaching out to me and different schools that kind of see the value of what this actually is. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I think it's kind of a bad thing because more people are experiencing social anxiety. Um, but I think just elevating the conversation is good. The second thing that I'm really, really excited about within like health and wellness is like, I'm honestly like so excited for companies that are like Primal Kitchen whether it's, you know, Primal Kitchen or, or Olipop or like all these companies that are starting to be formed um, that a lot of times started with people with like their own health issues where it's like we can reimagine a world where instead of people, you know, they can't eat certain foods where we can just like make those foods better. Um, so like I'm so excited for like the just like the future of food to see like and then especially like just looking at it from the business side. Um, to just like see how like a lot of these companies are getting a lot of funding now um, and getting the resources they need. And now they're in grocery stores all over America. So like, I'm really, really, really excited about that, especially someone who is like really passionate about, um, you know, like nutrition and your brain health and nutritional psychiatry and then telling people to change their lifestyle and their diet. I'm just like literally so excited for all these different companies that are like starting to be formed that have all these different um, you know, like ways that people can still enjoy those things without, you know, consuming kind of like the standardized, 
uh, like junk food version of them that yeah. has, has only existed, you know? So I'm so, so excited about that. Like I'm, I'm super hyped. I've like been trying to talk myself into not starting a, like a, like an Instagram just about this. Cause I have too many things to do, but yeah, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what does a day for food look like? Like what's a day in the life for you these days? <laughs> um, so, I mean, right now I'm, I'm like trying to, trying to bulk, I'm trying to gain some weight. So, um, I usually eat like two breakfasts. <laughs> um, and like, I, I also like, you know, and again, like, I think people have different diets and different tools for what they want to do and everyone's right. different. Um, but I remember like, I used to do like a lot of intermittent fasting and I think that was good because it helps you feel a little bit better. But I also realized, you know, especially being like an entrepreneur where you're busy all day, I also realized I was under eating a lot, especially eating like a lot of natural whole foods. A lot of that stuff is just naturally like low calorie. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, and I think a lot of people that I've talked to, I think a huge issue is like under eating. So like I eat two breakfasts, I eat like two lunches and then I eat one dinner. And, and like, again, I'm, I'm like in my twenties, you know, so, um, you know, I'm trying to do this. So like, for me, I just, I eat like, I eat some eggs. I eat like a banana. I eat like, I make like a breakfast sandwich that has eggs, avocado, hot sauce. I put some cheese on it. I put some, um, like pickled red onions. I love those. Um, I eat pickles. Um, I'll eat like some kind of a salad for lunch and then I'll eat like, I don't know, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of chicken with like sweet potatoes, uh, and like some vegetables and then dinner time I might you know, eat like some fish or something with some vegetables trying to, again, right now I'm trying to like bulk up. So I'm trying to like take this protein powder now, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. So definitely trying to, trying to eat more. And, um, and yeah, I think that under eating for certain people is definitely a huge issue. Yeah. Well, sometimes anxiety can go hand in hand with like under eating. It's so funny when we started this conversation, I was like, I don't have any social anxiety. And then as you were like talking, I'm like thinking, oh, I totally do. Like when I public, when I speak like at work, sometimes I'll break out in like a rash up my chest. Like I'll get so nervous to like present that I will literally have like, you know, like a rash coming up, like red splotchy rashes. And I'm like, that's gotta be tied to social anxiety somehow. Right. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, what comes to mind right now (laughs) is that, um, like I've met a lot of people and I used to be the same person where like, I was just like, Hey, I'm just like a, a quiet introvert. And that for me was like my coping mechanism for yeah, getting through social anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, they either hide behind it or they try to like brute force it, you know, whether it's like, Oh, at work, they only talk about like this one thing. Um, or they sort of try to, they try to like be the funny guy or like, they try to like create this certain persona. Um, so I think like, there's a lot of people out there where, you know, like you, like your brain is still suffering a little bit. Like you still maybe have like, I'm not saying this for you, by the way, but you may still kind of have like this broken leg kind of like in that analogy I was talking about before, but then you never really went through like a recovery process and you're just trying to like limp on it every day. You know what I mean? So again, I don't know if that's your scenario, but I've met a lot of people um, where they've told me that. And, like um, and a, a lot of times alcoholic, they're like functioning right. anxiety. Like they can, yeah. you know, they've figured out their coping mechanisms. Yeah. It's interesting. But I mean, I think some of the like 
dynamics of it, even if you wouldn't be someone who maybe could relate to everything you described, I think there are certain pieces of that that I feel like, you know, it's hard to be eight, eight to 13, like no matter what, like, it's just not a fun age. So especially the closer you get to maybe like the 12 to 13, but, uh, for a girl. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, I, I think some of these tactics are like really interesting, even if you don't have like a, you know, acute, like huge issue that's like crippling. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it, a lot of it resonated for me. Um, okay. I have like one okay. question that I ask everyone. Um, what is something about you that most people don't know? For fun. I love to create music and to rap. And usually like every week I'll just like make a song. Sometimes I'll record them. I don't, I've never published anything. Um, but I would say, especially like over the last two years, it's been like such a transformative way to like learn how to express myself and be more creative in a way that um, kind of allows me to like authentically just express myself, even if it's just to myself um, in a way that I, I've never found. So I don't think anybody knows that about me. Um, Love it. So. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that was so great to meet you and thank you for all your work and contribution for what you're doing to just improve the mental health of everyone these days. It's so needed. And can you let everyone know like where they can follow you, find you at your website is the lowdown. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first, before I do that, you know, I have to acknowledge you and Primal Kitchen. I have been a fan of Primal for like literally ever since you guys started and it's, uh, it's been so amazing to see what you guys have been able to do and seeing you like every grocery store is, uh, is so awesome. And and so thank you guys for you and your team for all the work that you guys do behind the scenes to, you know, make it possible, um, and change people's plates. Um, so where people can find me is, uh, my website, markmetry.com, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. And, I always try to be like as available and open to people. I try to respond to every email, every message, every DM I get. And so if you go on my website and in the first part, there's like an email box. If you put your email in there, you'll get an email from me. And then if you respond to that email, that goes directly to my inbox. And I always respond to all those. So if anyone has any questions or, or anything that they want to share, like I'm, I'm a totally, I'm an open, open book or no open door. Um, so I always put that out there because, uh, you know, I'm just like a real person who's been through this stuff that probably you have. And I just try to share about it. So my door is always open for people and Morgan, you're awesome. And this was so fun and awesome. Yeah. Thank Ooh. you so much. It was great to connect. Appreciate your time. Woo! Woo! Awesome. That was amazing. <laughs>